Hello, everybody. No one was expecting this, but I was talking to Rob Pollard, the Manchester City correspondent for Bleacher Report and uh, Manchester Evening News journalist on Twitter, and he said, Oi, get me on the podcast. So I thought, hey, let's do a bonus episode. So I'm delighted to be joined by Rob. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. We should have got you on the proper podcast, but a, a lapse in planning is what is what led to it happening now instead. Um, are you excited about the derby? I am incredibly excited about the derby. I mean, I wrote a piece this week that just sort of said how different this one feels and how different it could be on the pitch compared to certainly last seasons, but for me, the last three seasons. I mean, if you go back to, you know, Mancini threatening to tear down banners that were mocking City for 35 years of no trophies and Fergie calling City noisy neighbours and banners going up on Deansgate and all that, that kind of thing. The last three years has been slightly damp, shall we say. Um, I think it's been a reflection of the managers. I think Pellegrini was um, never one to kind of use the media to his advantage or try and fan the flames. Um, I think Van Hal's language towards the end of his time was increasingly defensive and he was becoming increasingly suspicious of the media. And so we, you had a situation where the build-up to the, the derbies last season were, were really kind of um, just sort of lacked intensity, really. And then I think the games reflected that. I mean, the second one had some kind of narrative in the sense that, you know, Rashford made a bit of a dummy of a of an experienced defender and became the youngest scorer in a derby, which was uh, a great story. But other than that, I think if you look at the the two games, they were they were lacking um, a lot of what we would have you know come to expect from the fixtures. So I don't think there's any danger of that this time, given that a the two teams look a hell of a lot better than they did last season, and, and b you've got um, managers who. Uh, don't necessarily like each other and but also know how to to operate and use the media to their advantage i think it's sort of interesting isn't it that you've got this the rivalry obviously exists and is fierce and passionate between the two clubs even if the kind of on-pitch stuff has been a real damp squib in the last few seasons rashford aside but there's a it's a sort of very strange cultural phenomenon that we've kind of superimposed another rivalry over the top of the existing rivalry in terms of Pep and Mourinho, it seems from from the Mourinho angle, he doesn't seem to have been talking this one up that much yet. I mean, I guess the press conferences will kick off all the coverage of that stuff. What have you made of um, Pep's take on the derby so far? Well, he's he's done the same. He's sort of tried to play it down. He was asked, I think, at his very first press conference um, about Mourinho, and he basically just said, you know, look, if I see him out in Manchester, I'll buy him dinner. <laughs> Uh, kind of thing to sort of play it down but I, I, I think the reason it's been um, a little bit muted so far is because the international break has come right before it so the build-up you know you've not had the two-game build-up kind of thing if, the, if they'd been around a Premier League fixtures this weekend you would have had Sky and all the all the nationals and, and all the papers and everybody else trying to trying to fan the flames ahead of you know, one week ahead of the derby, whereas they've not had that opportunity. But I think you'll see once this international period sort of winds back down and and um, the TV and newspapers start to ramp up their coverage, which has happened, actually. I mean, I read a fantastic Ian Ladyman piece today, um, which people might want to read, sort of charting the... Um, the fallout between the two managers uh, and and sort of some of the things that have happened before. I think you're going to see that it'll get 
it'll get ramped up. And then obviously Friday when, when they both speak, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be very, very interesting indeed. I think, um, that's when it'll really, really kick off. Being a, a football writer at Manchester's local newspaper, it feels like there can't have been much of a better time uh, to be doing that than right now in terms of like Manchester is the centre of the football universe at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously you look at, in my job, I sort of look at football in, in two ways. One as one as a fan of football and somebody who enjoys it and then obviously from a professional perspective and I think as a fan... I am hugely excited, uh, as as you and and probably everybody else is. From a, a professional perspective, you just feel really fortunate. On our desk, we I think we we all recognise we're, we're in a very fortunate position that this huge, huge story has kind of fallen on our lap, and and we're very much um, at the heart of it in terms of the fact that we sort of get really good access at the two clubs and um, we've, we've got a history of, of, um, of covering both clubs. So, yeah, I think it's, they can't have been a, a more exciting time on the desk. I mean, I've only been on, on uh, the, the sports desk at the evening news for sort of eight or nine months. Um, but I'm presuming this summer we've been there 10, 15, 20 years and I'm presuming they would say the same that this is, you know, this is the most exciting it's been. And I also think as well, since, the takeover at City, which is when the derby became relevant to both clubs again. I think previously it, it had meant far more to the City fans for very obvious reasons than it ever did to the United fans. Certainly throughout my childhood, that was the case. Um, but since the, the takeover in, in 2008, this actually feels like the first time that both teams have started the season with very, very similar quality squads. I think every other season there's been one or the other as sort of you know, felt ahead of the other. Now, that's not always um, been reflected in the final league position. I think Ferguson's final title win, for example, at the start of that season, I personally would have said City had a stronger squad. But there's always been one at the beginning of the season that I would have looked at and thought, you know what, they definitely have a stronger squad than this one. Whereas the beginning of this season, obviously they're not identical. No two squads are absolutely on a par. But it does feel like they're really... I think United have had the best window of any club. You know, I mean, I know Woodward gets a lot of stick and it's understandable, a lot of it, but he had a wish list this summer of, of things to tick off and he's done it emphatically. When when you look at it, you know, they needed a manager who was a winner and he, he's, gone and, he's gone and got that. I think that was a reaction to City getting Guardiola as well. I think they knew they had to, they had to get somebody who could deal with him. They needed, I think United have been crying out for some arrogance on the pitch you know I think um, they've needed that because they've been sort of playing within themselves a little bit and I think Ibrahimovic is the obvious um, the obvious signing to, to tick that box I think Eric Bailly brings a bit of power and, and pace to a defence that looked a little bit unstable to me at times uh, the defence isn't perfect by the way but obviously with, with one window there's only sort of so much change you can enact and then Mkhitaryan brings a bit of guile and um, a bit more quality um, in in the final third. So I just I think United have had a really good summer, and because of that, are sort of right back in the mix again. And, and I think that adds something to this fixture. I think the two managers is obviously a great story, but also the fact that two teams are coming together 
who are very, very closely matched and are probably going to contest the title. My only complaint about this fixture is it probably comes a little bit too early in the season in the sense that both managers would have liked a little bit more time to, to shape the squads in their own image, but we are where we are and it is, it's still incredibly exciting. Um, you know, it's going to be a great day, I think. How's the Pep Guardiola project going so far? How is, from your perspective, how, how much do you think, how much impact has he already made in terms of the way they're playing and how, because how, from, from my perspective, it looks like, I mean, especially having seen Van Gaal try and impose the kind of, what, the somewhat prehistoric precursor to Pep Guardiola football on, and it took so long for him to get his message across. But Pep seems to have come in, and they all seem to be zipping the ball around to each other and knowing where to stand pretty quickly. Yeah, I can't believe how quickly it has happened. I mean, the first game I saw um, live, I mean, I'd watched a couple of the friendlies on uh, on the TV, but the first game I was actually at was in Gothenburg when City played Arsenal in, on the weekend before the season started. And they were, I was very very concerned at that stage that the ideas were either a not being transmitted or b were being transmitted but the players at his disposal uh, at his disposal weren't capable of actually carrying them out i mean it was pretty chaotic in in that game at the alevi stadium there was you know the the center backs were splitting very wide at goal kicks and offering themselves for a pass which is something that he likes but when they were getting the ball they were giving it away in very, very dangerous areas. The full-backs pushing into midfield, they looked a little bit lost. Um, a week later, against Sunderland, OK, it wasn't perfect, but there's been a vast improvement. Since gone to Stoke, 1-4-1, where if you compare that to the Stoke fixture of last season, the difference was just incredible. I mean, for a start, the players ran 10 kilometres further than they did in that fixture uh, the previous season, which is not insignificant but also just the kind of confidence in the way that they played. And then the West Ham game, the last game, the first half of that was genuinely outstanding football. And it was to the point where you're thinking, my word, you know, he's really, he's really having an effect here um, in, a, in a short space of time. And obviously there's a long way to go and he's not even got his own players out on the pitch, a lot of them. Only Nolito and, and Stones have really played. You know, you've got Gundo and Sane, um, Claudio Bravo to come into the side immediately. Then also Gabriel Jesus, who will be coming in in January. Obviously, everybody's really excited to see as well. So he's actually using Pellegrini's players for the most part. Um, and there has been a significant improvement already. Still a long way to go, and I think he would admit that. But there's been uh, very clear signs of improvement, in my opinion. Um, what have you made of the, the Joe Hart and Yaya Toure stuff? We've had Schweinsteiger at which is obviously very different given he's hardly like an an integral figure in the his, recent history of the club or anything. But um, there was a lot of very negative coverage of Mourinho's treatment of Schweinsteiger. Um, what did you make of, of Pep's decision around Hart? I mean, I guess Torre is a bit more of an obvious one, but do, do you think he did the right thing with Joe Hart? Do you think that's a good move, an upgrade? I mean, I just think, just on Schweinsteiger quickly, I think making him train with the under-23s is the problem yeah. that people have with that one, which obviously Guardiola hasn't gone to those lengths, and I think I'm quite glad he hasn't. But I mean, just on Joe Hart, I think, look, if, if Guardiola, I admire Guardiola and how single-minded he is in terms of the way he wants to play. Um, now, if, that, if he says, look, for me to play the style of football I... I admire and I advocate and I've been sort of learning since the age of 13, 14, and I need a different goalkeeper to Joe Hart. Fine. Nobody has a problem with that. City waited three years to get this guy. 
he's won 21 major trophies or whatever in in seven seasons as a manager you have to um you have to trust him and you have to you know give him the opportunity to do exactly what he wants i think where i had a bit of a problem was him saying you know caballero playing four of the first five games of the season when you know no right-minded right-thinking person would say that caballero is a better option than than joe hart he might be slightly better with his feet but not by not by a, a you know a, a huge distance and he's certainly not a better goalkeeper so i think that was harsh um it may have been a perhaps a message to the board because there were whispers um after john stones was signed that the checkbook was closed and i think it was a case of look we we do need this type of goalkeeper otherwise you know we're not going to be able to play the way i want to play uh, but at the same time it felt harsh um yaya is different i think the intensity off the ball that Guardiola demands, I don't think Torre is capable of anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because I just flashed back to the semi-final of the Champions League. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's that sort of, um, you know, slowed down um, ver- uh, sort of clip or whatever that go- from that game where people have sort of put together a highlights reel of him sort of jogging around, which I'm always sceptical of highlights type things like that. But there probably was a point to be made in the sense that he's sort of, He's not got it in him these days to to play. I mean, he used to do the job of two men, and now he, he doesn't he doesn't do that. But at the same time, in the intro, the, the interesting thing around Torre is how sharply he divides the um, the city fan base. Because I have never known anything like it. Right, uh, a player to divide people so sharply. On the one hand, you've got people who just think he's lazy, uh, overrated, and can't stand him mainly because of his agent, which is something that I don't let dilute my uh, my admiration for the player. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got people who just think he's the king and should be given the sort of freedom of Manchester. I'm very much in the latter camp, whereby I can't think of a more important player in City's history, mm. certainly not since I've been going. And I would argue that probably before that, um, signed for £24 million. That, I mean, Silver, David Silver would be the best player I think I've ever seen play for City, but he cannot compete with Yaya Toure in terms of the big moments. Whenever City have needed someone, Toure has been there. And obviously, this isn't the the ideal podcast to bring it up on, but the, <laughs> the goal, the winning goal in the semi-final of the 2011 FA Cup, was the moment for most City fans. All the naysayers who thought, even after Mansour's money came in, thought it was going to end badly and there was going to be some kind of, you know, they were never going to win anything or whatever. Even those people started to believe that day that something could happen and then he just i mean he then scored the winner in the final he scored two goals a season after um the penultimate game against newcastle to put city on the brink of the first title in 44 years he scored a goal in the league cup final pellegrini's first season scored 24 goals in all competitions from center midfield that season when city won the league and cup a league and cup double for the first time in the club's history so really you no one can compete with the guy. And I mean, yes, he is a faded force and probably should have left at an earlier juncture. Um, but at the same time, he, he deserves sort of like the, the, the biggest respect imaginable, really, because he's delivered on his brief like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, and that's quite enough loading of Manchester City players. <laughs> we've, got, we've got to move on. They'll be, I'll, I'll be in such big trouble um, if we don't. I've actually got a... This is something I've thought about quite a lot because I'm really enjoying the Mourinho honeymoon at the moment. It's been after the kind of 
dour misery of David Moyes and the kind of increasing defeatism of Van Gaal and the terrible dull football. This is it feels like a, a tonic and a massive breath of fresh air. But I keep remembering, oh yeah, this isn't going to last because that Mourinho in the entirety of of history would tell us that Mourinho is not going to be able to do this for a long time. And the thing you mentioned um, a couple of answers ago, you mentioned that City have been planning for Pep for three years. And I think arguably it's even longer than that, isn't it? Yeah. It's always seemed a bit strange to me that so much time has been put into planning for Pep when Pep's only going to be there for three years. Because he's never done longer than that either, has he? Um, it doesn't seem like he's going to be at the club for the rest of his career and all that kind of thing. Do you do you think that's a, there's a slight that's a slightly odd decision? Um, no, because they wanted. I mean, when when I say planning, I mean it, it just involves sort of convincing him to come. Really, everything else that the club have done, yes, it's sort of geared in that Barcelona way. Uh, and was ideal for Pep to come into, but that was exclusive of Pep in a way. But they, I, they right. have spent three, four years sort of in his ear and, and, and trying to make sure that the next available opportunity, I mean, they wanted him before he went to Bayern Munich, um, but he was totally adamant that that was, that was the next club for him and there was nothing uh, City could do about it. It was probably a good decision from his perspective because I think City are a far slicker and, and better organisation in terms of absolutely every aspect of the club now than they were then. Um, so, yeah, they've spent a long time trying to get him in. I agree with you, he probably won't last longer than three, maybe four years. There's an element of the, the transfers he's done this summer. Um, a lot of them have been these development players who sit here buying with one eye on the future. You look at Zinchenko, Moreno, who've both gone out on loan and to a certain extent, Gabriel Jesus, who'll be coming in uh, in December, ready to play in January. These are players with one eye on the future, and he's been very, very key in making sure that they come. I mean, he, he, he called Jesus personally to make sure that he turned down other clubs, which was quite a significant intervention, apparently. Mm. Um, so that would suggest maybe he's got an eye on being there longer than three years. I mean, he, he did four years at Barcelona three years at Bayern Munich, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the chances of him doing longer than three or four years at City are obviously very remote, but I know for a fact that the club would probably want that if if things are still going well. I mean, it was really interesting. If you go back to the summer Pep joined Bayern Munich and City got Pellegrini, Ferran Soriano, the chief exec at City, did, I think, his only sit-down interview with national newspapers in, in Britain. And he said at the time, you know, the days of a Ferguson uh, are gone. You know, you're not going to get somebody doing was it 26 years at United? Ferguson did. Uh, you're not going to you're not going to get that again. Um, and he talked about cycles. He said they're three, four, five year cycles of a manager now. No, you know, and it's no, um, it's not a kind of indictment of the manager or the club. At the end of those three, four years, when it all comes to an end, it's just a natural cycle. People, players get bored of the same voice. They want new ideas. The club needs fresh impetus. The manager needs a chair. You know, it, it's just a thing that that um, it can't go on and on and on and on. It can't keep reinventing itself. And I think the club would say the same about Guardiola. They want him to come in, do three, four years, maybe a little longer if they could, if they could coax him into it. But 
they're very much aware that he's then going to move on and they've got to find somebody else. And what they're trying to do is trying to find someone else from within their own system in the same way that Guardiola found his way into the hot seat at, at Barcelona. And they're sort of doing everything they can to to uh, to school people, if you like, in, in, this, in the city way. And they have a very clear um, sort of identity now and a style of football that they're trying to sort of encourage across every single level of the academy and and what have you, and they want to—they want somebody who's embedded in that culture and understands the club to to take over at some stage in the future. With with Patrick Vieira being the obvious uh, the obvious example, it's a it's really interesting because from the United perspective, it it feels like this is an area where City are just ahead of United at the moment in terms of organisational culture. Um, and maybe it's less of a problem for City that Guardiola is going to do three or four years than it is at United that Mourinho is going to do three or four years because you kind of praised Woodward for his transfer window activity. And I think that's entirely fair and justified. But there's next to no way the transfer window would have gone anywhere near that well without Mourinho being in situ because a huge part of the attraction was to come to play for Mourinho's United. Uh, which obviously, like, it's a big attraction to come and play for Pep City, and if it's Patrick Vieira's City, might be a less attractive prospect. But there, but there is there is that kind of long term planning that just it's hard to see where that's happening at United. There's been a lot of changes and stuff to the academy, so maybe maybe that's coming. Maybe they're they're looking across at City and for the first time in a long time thinking there's actually something they could learn from that approach. Um. All right, let's talk about the derby specifically. I put a call out for questions on the on the on Twitter, and unfortunately, they're mostly just friends of ours making in jokes. So, <laughs> so, so we'll, we'll skip those. Um, but uh, at at C Armband, Chris says, um, "What is City's plan without Aguero?" Which I think we talked about that on the main show this week a bit options with Iheanacho and uh, Nolito but what do you think he's going to do and how big a loss is it I mean, it's a huge loss don't get me wrong I mean, he's, he scored eight in nine derbies or something which is um, I think only Rooney has a better record in the Premier League era he does seem to like facing United and obviously he is City's best striker there's just again no one in uh, no one in the world would uh, would argue with that I don't think um, for me the option would be to bring Iheanacho in in a almost like-for-like like swap. I'm not saying they're, they're the same player, but Ian Ancho is someone who can go and play that role um, up front. Uh, I think he deserves it. I think um, he's fantastic every time he comes on. He's, he's unbelievably professional, uh, unbelievably likeable. Um, I think he um, his cameos again this season so far have just been outstanding. So how do you reward that? Well, when the main guy's out, you know, Iheanacho should step in and, and, and fill, the, fill the void, really. So I, if I was in charge or if I were if I were Guardiola, I would bring Iheanacho in in a like-for-like -like situation. I suppose the other options are Sterling can play the sort of false nine role. Nolito could do the same, which would then, you know, maybe Leroy Sane could come in on the right and a little reshuffle behind but for me it would just make more sense to keep things sort of pretty much as they were um and bring in Kelechi and Acho because I think he he deserves it I think that he, he very rarely is phased by an occasion um which has been the the most startling thing about him really I mean his technical quality and 
his professionalism and his hard work and everything else is is really impressive. But that sort of um, you know <clears throat> ability to take on any challenge and, and, and still perform at such a young age has been what's taken me by surprise the most. So uh, for me, it would be uh, Ian Acho to start. Yes, really interesting parallel because I, I would move heaven and earth to get Marcus Rashford into the team and would say a lot of really similar things about him. And it's, it's in, the two players get compared all the time and the analytics community have got a bee in their bonnet about Ian Acho's uh, underlying numbers being better than Rashford's. And this isn't a dig at that player at all because he seems like he's going to have an incredible future I just don't understand how anyone watches Marcus Rashford and doesn't go yeah this kid is the absolute real deal he's fantastic yeah he is he's absolutely fantastic I mean I saw him uh, a week before he, he sort of burst onto the scene United and City played each other in a I think he was under 21 level game and he was played out of position and he didn't have his best game according to my colleague Rob Dawson who had seen him more times than me but it was instantly obvious I remember writing down on the team sheet you know something about it I had to sort of do the live blog that day and needed things to say um and he was somebody who stood out as you know his feet he's just such quick feet and he was clearly better than a lot of the other lads on on the pitch and I'm not saying I foresaw what was to come a week later when He'd scored goals for the first team, but it was immediately obvious having seen him. And I also think as well that he, he's another one like Ian Acho who has just risen to every single challenge that's been, that he's been given. Um, and I think on form, he would deserve to start the game. The only thing, I mean, on form, Martial, I'm presuming, wouldn't necessarily be a definite starter he scored for france which i think is a big deal uh, in the international breaks his first goal for france and well, i think he's fantastic i think yeah. he is a, an absolutely um amazing prospect and he would be in my strongest united 11 um but perhaps on four i mean he has been slightly anonymous hasn't he at the start of the season for united so yeah. maybe there would be some change there but uh i'm a big fan of his as well i think uh both rashford and marshall have got great futures ahead of him and united are very fortunate to have him all right that's the, you see this is the kind of stuff that gets you accused of having manchester united bias on the manchester on the <laughs> evening news comment section is <laughs> um, being remotely fair-minded is a is a apparently not a good thing no you're not allowed that you're not allowed that um all right uh last question then thank you very much for taking the time to do this my last question is who as a city fan who worries you most about facing united um paul pogba without a shadow of a doubt i think he has the potential to be the best player in the league and i think when you've got the best player in the league it's always quite a a big help i think over the last few years city have had the best players in the league and perhaps haven't won as much as they should have because of that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think he is, he is potentially formidable, isn't he? I mean, I saw, I've seen his games for United. And I've seen him plenty of times before and I've always been remarkably impressed, even in games where he's not dominated. I mean, most of the time that is his game, isn't it? He will dominate the game and he has an influence in, uh, in his own half and in the opposition half and he does so much and, and he can run a game but even in games where he's less influential and less obviously um, dominating he will produce a couple of moments of just absolute brilliance I mean he did it to City last season in the uh, when Juventus beat City in, at the Etihad in the first group uh, game of the Champions League just pulled this remarkable 
bending ball to the back post out of nowhere. If I remember rightly, he was with like the outside of his boot or something and, and set up a goal out of nothing. And, and that is what he is capable of. I just think he's, um, I think he's a remarkable player. And the, and the kind of, uh, hysterics from some people, United fans and opposition fans about the fee paid is just so silly. You know, when you, when you consider a, how rich football clubs are in general and, and particularly Manchester United and, and b the fact that for that money, United are getting possibly the next great player of the game, you know, if he is to kick on now and and do what we think he can achieve whilst at United, he could go down as the next sort of um, absolute era-defining player. When you when you take all that into consideration, the money is just it's so irrelevant. You know, it really doesn't matter. Um, so I, yeah, I would say Paul Pog, but obviously Ibrahimovic is another one because he seems to he's a remarkable person in the sense that. You know, he's 34 and look how fit and healthy as we were talking before about Yaya can't do the job that he used to do anymore at 33. And I know it's a very different position, um, but Ibrahimovic is clearly, he's a super professional and has clearly taken care of himself incredibly well when you look at him and you see what he's still capable of at his age. Um, but yeah, if I had to sort of identify my one big fear i suppose it would be uh it would be paul pogba brilliant thank you for your time rob this extra bonus podcast was made possible by the good people who have backed the show at patreon.com slash rankcast because that gives us the time to do a bit of extra stuff that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise uh so head over there if you uh, want a little bit more uh, united rant content in general and uh rob that's my plug hit the people up with your plugs yeah well just you know Go on to the Manchester Evening News website if you want to see anything about City, which I'm sure um, your listeners don't that I've written. But uh, if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Rob Pollard underscore. Uh, and that would be it, really, Paul. Thanks for having me on, mate. I, uh, I appreciate it. You're very welcome, and, and thanks for talking to us. We'll do it again sometime. <laughs>